Hello, dear listeners, and welcome once again to another episode of the Madam's Cast, all about food, foraging, people, and the planet, with a sprinkling of farming as well. And uh, uh, this is going to be a particularly farmy episode, but uh, perhaps in a slightly less expected way uh, than we think of when we think of farming these days. So I'm quite excited about that. But before that, a couple of things to just remind you about. Um, First of all, uh, please, if you're listening to the Madam's Cast and you're streaming, that's great. Lovely that you're listening. But if you could download, that would be great. It makes it easier for other people to find the show. And also, if you've been enjoying the Madam's Cast and you'd like to make a contribution to the running costs, as it were, uh, the Madam's Cast is free and always will be, but you can support via my Patreon page, to which you will find a link in my tree on Linktree, or indeed via the show notes of this episode. Now, all of the boring stuff out of the way, let's talk about the exciting stuff. Uh, I have got today a guest that is just, I'm so looking forward to this next chat. I mean, I look forward to all the chats on the Madam's Cast, as regular listeners will know. But this chat, I can tell already, is going to be a great chat. Okay, I've got someone on the end of the phone that bonfired their life and moved to a remote Scottish uh, piece of land to begin all over again. Now, that's the kind of move that I can appreciate, and I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more of the story. There's a book involved. I believe it's in Genesis. It may have hit the shelves already, and the story behind this is um, is going to be great. So without any more waffling from me, I'm going to ask Lynn if she's there. Lynn, are you there? I am indeed, Tim, and nice to be here with you today. Oh, via the magic of the internet. <laughs> uh, Although we are reasonably close to each other, I'm at. Where are you? Yeah, so we are. So our nearest town is called Grandtown on Spey. If you don't mm. know where that is, um, we're in the Cairngorms National Park. So we are just um, kind of in the 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 the, the north uh, of this massive, massive mountains that comprises the the national park uh, in the Highlands of Scotland. Amazing, amazing. Now, obviously, I do know where Granton is. That's only mm-hmm. about. 45 minutes from me down here on the Murray coast. Um, And I I occasionally nip up there for a tremendous sandwich uh, or or a bun from KJ's Bothy Bakery. Have you been there? Good call. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I I, I love going there. I try not to go there too many times. Otherwise my waist, (laughs) my waist size would expand because her stuff it's like you don't go to KJ's and buy a bun. You go no. to KJ's and impulse buy like crazy. So you're like, oh, I'll have three buns and then I'll just get two loaves of bread. Oh, and I'll also buy, because it's just a fantastic place and we absolutely love her. So I uh, feel very lucky to have her nearby. Great, great. No, but now I'm in danger of leading you down this micro <laughs> path where we just have a great chat about all the lovely yeah. stuff near where we live. And I get inundated <laughs> with wave after wave of emails from people going, Tim, we can't go there. Stop behaving like it's a travel show for North East Scotland. Stop it. Yeah. So so before we indulge in any more of this, oh, aren't we lucky for living uh, in North East Scotland chat? Sure. I am going to, I'm going to rein us back in and I'm going to do the you. terrible thing, Lynn, that I, I always do at the beginning of the Madam's Cast. Now, it's kind of like an initiation ceremony. I ask you to fill us in about how you got to where you are okay. and that you know I know you're not going to struggle to tell me about that it doesn't have to start from the cradle okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) but but a synopsis would be good just so that we know who we're chatting to sure and um and and how you got there and then then that gives us all the brilliantness that we need for the background so that we can plow on through the three things you'd like to change about the world of food Fabulous. Well, I'll, I'll try and give you the, 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 the classic kind of 90 second introduction. So uh, you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm not local to the north of Scotland. I, I grew up in Northern Ireland, um, left there when I was 18 to go to university, uh, studied archaeology, um, spent, I don't know, maybe 10 years um, working in different jobs, doing all sorts of different things. And then kind of when the, by the end of my kind of 20s, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not sort of feeling like this is where I want to be. I was living on the edge of London um, and I just, yeah, I just felt like I wanted wanted to work a life or live a life that was basically closer to nature. So I kind of quit everything that I was doing and got a job with the National Trust uh, on, on their apprenticeship scheme to become a ranger. Did that for a few years, uh, really enjoyed it. And that's where I ended up meeting my partner, Sandra. 
And really early on, we had this kind of, you know, one of those kind of life changing chats where we realized that we had this shared kind of vision, shared dream of living closer to nature, living on the land. And so we made this bit of a plan that eventually we would um we would we would kind of find some land and 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 kind of have that have that dream existence. Uh, a couple of years later, we quit the jobs with the National Trust, moved north to Scotland. Uh, Sandra's half Scottish, so it seemed like a natural place to go. And also, land is more affordable uh, up mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So we spent a couple of years living and working in the borders, uh, planting trees until we decided to just go for it and started to look for somewhere to buy. Uh, we were traveling all over Scotland, um, open to anything. But the main kind of uh, requirement that it was, was that it was about five, five acres. We didn't really care if there was a house, you know, we we're quite happy to live on a wee caravan. The main thing was that we'd have enough land to basically grow our own food, raise a few animals, that sort of thing. Yep. We found Limbrek. Uh, we came to Limbrek on a sunny August day. There was no wind and there were no midges. <laughs> and it was stunning. You know, it, like Limbrek is, is south facing. We faced directly into the Cairngorms. Wow. Uh, it's it's just, it, it's kind of the kind of landscape that makes your kind of uh, skin tingle. Anyway, we came to Limbrek, fell in love. Um, six months later, we'd moved up here. The, 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 what we had to overcome in the interim was we didn't have the money to buy it, so we had to resolve that pretty quickly. Mm. And the second thing was was that Limbrek was not five acres; Limbrek was one hundred and fifty acres. Oh. So, <laughs> whoops! So it meant so it meant that things had to change and things were going to change. So that's where we found ourselves in March 2016 with a, a land of opportunity, but a massive mountain to climb. Wow, the biggest mountain in the Cairngorm National Park, in fact. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. And none none of these challenges dissuaded you from this foolhardy idea? No, not at all. We were so we were so targeted in, in what we wanted to do. And really, you know, it, it was all of our, our, our kind of dreams were focused around being more in tune with nature, being more in tune with seasons and really growing our own food, growing the fuel that powers our body and that gives us health and well-being. That was our kind of core vision. What changed was that because we had 150 acres rather than five, it was thinking, well, you know, what do we do now? Do we do we either kind of continue with our dream of having a little kitchen garden, a few animals and just, you know, leave the other 149 acres to do its own thing? Or do we rejig our ideas and look at, you know, working that land working with it to not just provide food for ourselves but provide food for others which is what brought us into farming the 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 you know the kind of additional curveball in that tim though is that we don't have any background in farming you know none whatsoever you know we'd worked in the national trust we got some nice practical skills and stuff mm-hmm. but we'd never raised animals cattle you know pigs we we never lived in that kind of and, and worked in that industry so that was completely new for us as well Oh, well, there's two major things for me there. Number one, I love it when people have these ideas and then go for it because it's so easy to find reasons not to do stuff. And yeah. and actually, I think sometimes that's that's the universe's way of filtering out the people that actually it would have been a bad idea for. Yeah. Um, it reminds me uh, of an, an earlier guest on the Madam's Cast, a guy called uh, Stephen Lamb, who I used to know uh, a long, long time ago when I was mm-hmm. um, down in, in Devon and Dorset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we used to work on a on a little farm where people would come and do guest experiences. And they, you know, learn how to raise chickens or butcher a cow or whatever um, sure. uh, down at River Cottage there. And we would constantly be inundated with people going, this is amazing. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to change my life completely. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, okay, so you've had an amazing experience. Let's, you know, come around the back here, you know, come mm-hmm. and have a look mm-hmm. at the drains that are blocked. Come and have a look at this. Mm-hmm. Come and have a look at the mm-hmm. fact that no one's had a holiday for, you know, I said, so you've got to mm-hmm. absolutely support your, your desire to change. Mm-hmm. You have to be realistic about what that is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. look at us. I mean, we're doing it we're showing you how to do it, but actually we're paid to be here. I've got a house mm-hmm. over the road, you know, yada, yada. So I think yeah. there's it, lots of desire can be in the wrong direction, but when it's mm-hmm. not, and you take that opportunity and grasp it, I think that's, that's very, that's very cool. Yeah. And I think, I think to live 
and work this way, you know, irrespective of 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 what I was saying before about, you know, wanting to grow our own food and whatever. Uh-huh. It's a completely different way of living because you you don't have the nine to five and you don't have the salary. Okay. You don't mm-hmm. have the 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 you know that every every month the, the the you know the additional amount goes into your work your workplace pension. You you turn your back on a lot of what today is um I would say categorized or classified as you know security which is yeah. the monthly salary which is all of this kind of stuff you turn your back on all of that and another thing that you do turn your back on is you know that kind of 40 hours a week this is when I work and the rest <laughs> of the time is when I don't work or when I sleep and yeah. then I have four months when four weeks sorry when somebody very nicely pays me for a holiday that's all gone because it's Monday to Sunday you know, a Friday night is the same as a Tuesday night is the same as a Sunday night. Yeah. Um, you you kind of walk away from all that, and what you you have to either make the decision to do is to embrace that new way of living, embrace the freedom of it, and embrace what I would say are the new securities that you get with that. But you have to transition out of of what is the norm, what is the mainstream, and what most people have. And you have to, that takes a lot of effort. I would say that's probably one of the harder things to do. And you know, we're here six years now, and we're just transitioning out of it now. I would say. Mm. Uh, modern life's addictive and very carefully marketed at you. And I think yes. a lot of it, a lot of it is, yes. is a chimera as, as obviously um, recent uh, global illness scenarios have pointed out to a lot of people that some yeah. of the things they valued in their life uh, most highly are perhaps not as valued. And I, I, I am convinced that there's going to be a revolution in the work time um, mm. attitude of, of people across, uh, certainly across the society of Western Europe, because mm. um, that bubble has burst. And I don't think anyone is any longer believing that those new trainers and a shiny holiday are going to be better than spending the next two weeks with their kids. So I, yeah. you know, I think I think there's a lot of that's changing. But I completely get what you're saying. You yeah. haven't gone from, uh, you know, sort of two similar worlds and, and sort of bridge from one to the other. You've gone from, you know, suburban dwelling in London to remote self you know substance yeah. in 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 northeast Scotland. and exactly. i admire i admire your sentence oh we were prepared to live in a caravan i'm thinking <laughs> hang on a minute at the top even two-thirds of the way up the mountain um, yeah. in a caravan in february i'm not i'm not there with you that's not Chilly. something that i'm thinking of as romantic that's something i'm thinking of as no way not doing that. <laughs> Chilly, <laughs> having just moved, having moved into a semi-derelict farmhouse last yeah. winter in northeast Scotland, oh. uh, sea level. There's no way yeah. you're getting me up there in a caravan. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's all good. Okay, yeah. right. Um, fine, I keep stealing. I'm just so excited to talk to you. I keep stealing. Um, it's your all right. It's all right. But that's okay. Will you will let me off? That's good. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay. So we whiz forward six years. You've been there. We whiz forward yeah. six years. You're writing a book about your experience there. Oh, have I lost you? Oh, there we are. I've got oh, you back. Yeah. Don't worry. That happens. <laughs> That's the internet letting us down. So, <laughs> so you've been there for six years. And, yes. And now you're writing a book about what is presumably is going to be Limbrecht Croft version 1.0. And, yes. you know, this is how you've got there. And, you, you know, you're going to bring us up to date. So can you give us a quick synopsis? of that before we dive into the things um, that you're going to change. Is it called This Wild Farming Life? Hang on, I've got the title written down somewhere. Tell me a bit about the book. Yeah, so so the book is called Our Wild Farming Life. Um, the title came about because um, a few years ago, we uh, were part of a TV series called uh, This Farming Life, which is a BBC Two uh, series. Um, we had a small camera crew that followed us for nine months in our Whoa. first year of oh uh, farming. I know, I know. <laughs> Honestly, I know. You just think, really? Why? Generally, these are my ideas as well, by the way. <laughs> um, so, 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 so it kind of, the, the title kind of links to that. Um, 
and um, we we it's it's called our wild farming life adventures on a, on a Scottish Highland Croft, and really it's all about our journey, Tim. So it's all about our journey. So the book starts off with a little bit more background about me and Sandra, where we came from, where we grew up, mm-hmm. and then it kind of progresses into that journey from you know having the dream to then realizing the dream to then realizing the dream wasn't what we thought it was going to be because you know we had so much more land and our plans were going to have to change and really how we've kind of navigated that that path of of you know really what was the great unknown how we blended ourselves into the community how we how we learned about farming and how we in effect really designed our own way of farming because you know we, you know, our kind of motto, like many today, uh, you know, is, is farming with nature. You know, we, we kind of farm in a way that's regenerative. And and when I say regenerative, I mean not just regenerating the land, but, you know, regenerating the, the community, regenerating the social elements as well. Yeah. So so the, the book is all that kind of story about how we did it um, with the, the challenges that we faced, which was, we didn't know anybody in this area. We left all of our friends and family to move up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started off with no money whatsoever. In fact, we had a small loan that we had to pay off. Uh, so for the first four years that we were here, we had to have off off farm jobs as well. Um, and the fact that we didn't know anything about farming you know we didn't know anything about the industry we didn't even know the language you know there's a there's a bit in the book where I talk about how we had to learn how you know I used to think that there were there were sheep and there were cows which is simply (laughs) not true because there are there are not there are different types of cows there are heifers and bullocks and steers and stots and you know with sheep there are yows and lambs and tups and all this kind of stuff that that we just didn't know about and um that was all kind of well and good, but how were we navigating that path, staying true to why we'd made this huge leap in our lives, which was growing our own food, which was living more in tune with the seasons. And I think what the book quite honestly shares is that at the beginning, uh, we didn't do it particularly well because we were working all the hours that God sends off farm and on farm, mm. uh, trying to set up a new business, trying to pay the bills. Um, we then managed to get Limbrek, the, the business side, into an area where people were starting to look what we were doing. They were starting to think, oh, they're, they're kind of doing some interesting things, getting more attention, which meant that we were spending more time kind of engaging with people rather than actually enjoying the work that we had and the, you know what we had and where we lived yeah. um and so then we had to make another complete change and go hold on a minute what is it we're trying to do here so so the book really takes you on that journey um and i would say that it's really a a warts and all very honest uh story about how how it is that we got to this point today as it should be as it should be and yeah. that would have given you a unique and very interesting view on farming, which is going to make yes. your three things that you get to change about the world of food super interesting. I can see that coming. Absolutely, okay. <laughs> really excited about that um, because we've had, you know, we've had all sorts. It's a very broad church, the Madam's Cast. We have everyone from chefs to soil enthusiasts to okay. foresters and farmers, and everyone's got an opinion. And somewhere in there, with their experience in different places, is this sort of malleable bank of information that represents a sensible way forward for lots of uh, lots of things to do with the environment because ultimately as I know you will agree without the environment we haven't got any food we'll all die out that's that so absolutely um, you know massive massive uh shared reason for endeavor there Um, and I I'm loving to hear that that the idea of of growing your own food was what got you there because that for me is just a perfect way in yeah yeah, I mean, I was talking earlier about how to live this way of life. One of the things that you have to do is to turn your back on, you know, the security elements. So like I was saying before, you know, the salary, the the, mm. the, the, the work pension, all that kind of thing. What we have started, what we were starting to do and what we've really started to do is redefine what to us security looks like. And to us, security looks like having food. Okay, so having food, having a kitchen garden rammed full of food, having a freezer rammed full of food, really properly good, healthy food grown in soils which have just used the, the, the wonderfulness of Mother Nature's biology. That is huge security. Security is also having clean water to drink. Mm. You know, our water comes from a well. It's not 
there's no chemicals in it. It just comes straight from the well uh, into our house. And it's incredible stuff. You know, we have a house we have a roof over our head. We have wood to 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 put in the wood burner to, to fuel the house so we can stay cosy on a, on a night. You start to redefine what's actually important to you. And coming back to the point of food, you know, I I, I we, we Sandra and I always say that food is our obsession. You know, I'm I'm not joking when I say that we can just sit and literally talk for hours about food. Just just about how important it is to us because all of a sudden we're living in a world where Food in terms of its importance and in terms of its financial cost have been massively, massively devalued. And yet they are food is the one thing that gives us our physical and mental health. You know, it's like if you have a petrol car and you put, you know, dirty water into it or dirty diesel or something else, it's not gonna run for you. You know, it's 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 just gonna kind of it's it's just gonna fall over and die. Or if you put if you put a low grade fuel into it, it's not gonna last for very long. We would never do that to our cars. You know, we would never even think about doing that. Yet to our bodies, we're quite happy um or, or it's not even that we're quite happy. We've we just become kind of programmed because of the mass kind of marketing that is available today, I think, in part to consume food, which, you know, medically proven is not very good for us. And so we didn't really want to do that. You know, we wanted to really grow our own food in a way where we weren't seeing it as a hobby. We weren't yeah. seeing it as a sideline. We weren't mm-hmm. seeing it as something that drained our time. We were actually using that time to nourish the land, which we would then nourish ourselves with and give ourselves health. Oh, i just loving listening to this. Um, <laughs> okay, well, you know, we're definitely, um, we're definitely members of the same congregation on that front. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I completely agree with you. And the joy, the joy that you get from a great bowl of food yeah. um, it should nourish your soul as well as your, as your palate. And I'm totally with you on that. So before yeah. we dive into that any further, I think we need to engage um, the special device that I've got around here somewhere one of these drawers uh hang on um here it is and what we're going to do is we're going to open a small vortex in the current reality of the world as we know it and we're going to step through uh, that vortex into an identical world okay however it's malleable okay much as our world is malleable but this one's malleable in an accelerated way so just for the wishing you can change three things to do with the world as long as it's related to food or food production uh-huh. Okay. Now those things can be uh, flippant. They can be mm-hmm. silly. They can be very personal, or they can be, you know, much bigger and much more important and much more wholesome. Or they can be a mixture of all those things. That's the beauty of the Madam Scars. We don't put any limits on that. That's up to you to decide what you'd like to change about the world of food. So you don't need to bring anything with you because we'll only be gone for a bit. Okay. Um, and there's plenty of air through there, so you'll be oh, all right. Th- it's definitely uh, warmer here as well, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's warmer in this vortex than in the Highlands go, of Scotland. Okay, okay. so we're going we're gonna to move through to the end of the vortex now and now into the new world, and I am going to give you three magic buttons to press where you can change the world. Are you ready? Let's go. Yes, right. Okay, I'm we're going. in. We're right. In. No, wow. No. What, an, what an incredible place. There's just food everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Don't change that, for God's sake. <laughs> no, no. Okay, um, excellent. Right, so, Lynn, can you please yes. give me the first thing that you would like to change about the world of food? Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind, because I haven't prepared this at all, so you've totally caught me off guard here, but the first thing that pops to mind is labelling, okay? So why is it that whenever you go into a supermarket, you're maybe looking at, say, let's say broccoli, and there's one broccoli on the left that is organic, that says yeah. organic on it, and yeah. there's one on the right that's not organic, why does the one on the right not dis- not say this has had this amount of pesticide treatment, this amount of herbicide treatment? You know, it has been flown this amount of miles from this country in South America. Why is that not all on the label? And yet the one that's organic has to have this kind of special certification when that is the one that's real food. So I would like to see labeling switched around. <laughs> okay. Opening the batting, pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> fundamental there. And wow, what a subject. Isn't that great? And what about the third type of broccoli? What's that third type of broccoli over there that's wrapped? Why is it wrapped? 
Uh, Why is it wrapped? You know, as if there wasn't enough petrochemicals involved in creating yeah. the nitrogen fertilizer to grow it. We've yeah. now wrapped it in some more. <laughs> Absolutely. And why aren't we labeling it? Why aren't we putting that on the label? This is wrapped because and and you you blow it apart. But, but you know, labeling is so powerful. You know, it's 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 marketing at its kind of most simplest form, isn't it really? Yeah. You know, you, you you look at it and you go Right, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go with that. But yet everything that labeling is about um is 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 all about the stuff that's uh, you know, things like organic, but yet we're not we're not seeing, you know, imagine picking up a broccoli and saying this has had I don't know how much percentage of of, of chemical sprayed on it. I don't want to read that. No. But that's true. That's true. Yeah. I need to know that. As somebody that's going to buy it, I need to know that because I need to make an informed decision as to what I'm going to put in my body. And I don't think I am. No. And I think it's difficult. And I think it's it's not necessarily getting easier the more things they add to labels. And the things Correct. that are missing from labels, I'm going to have to try at some point, I have to try and disagree with you about this. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm going to try that in a minute. But because I've got a bugbear with labels as well. The things they put mm. on them are often irrelevant, difficult to understand and misleading. And yeah. Actually, the things that I want to know is I want one label that tells me how far away from where I'm standing this thing was grown. I want another one to tell me how much petrol and water was involved in creating it. And then I want another one to tell me how healthy it's going to make me if I eat it, like how how many calories are in it. That's it. That's basically all anyone needs to know. Um, And everything else is kind of is almost sort of semi redundant. But there we go. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Uh, so as you can tell, I probably agree with you, but <laughs> but that's nonsense yeah. because if I want organic, if I want to buy organic, I need to know that it's organic so that I can you know find it, and also um you know that that I want my broccoli, um and if my broccoli's been sprayed with a little bit of pesticide because it's being attacked by insects, that's better than having no broccoli. So what's your problem with with pesticides? Come on. Well, shouldn't shouldn't the default be that your broccoli is pure and for want of a better word clean uh broccoli? Why is it the assumption is that you have to give what is grown in harmony with nature, shall we say, special treatment. That is how it should be grown. Why are we not distinguishing between the stuff that's not grown like that or that's grown more intensively? That is where the distinction should lie. And you could argue that we do do that. You could argue that that is how, you know, we, we all know because organic means, you know, no or fewer pesticides or whatever, and, and the other doesn't. But yet it, it's, it's done in a topsy-turvy kind of way. So, so I, would, I would always like to, I would like to live in this world, this vortex that you've brought me into uh-huh. is a world where organic is the default. Anything other than that you have to have the explanation and the label why and what it is. It's my okay, it's my vortex, Tim. It's mine. <laughs> it's yours. Yeah, you can have it. So what I'm getting at is, um, okay, so, how, so very yeah. quickly then, how did we get here, right? In my head, this is how we got here. Um, yes. What happened was a uh, massive agricultural revolution. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, coincided with a huge expansion of uh, multiple retailers and farming and multiple retailers kind of became connected in a really nasty way. Mm. And what's happened there then is that this, what we've ended up with is what's now called um, traditional agriculture Mm. isn't traditional at all. It's Mm. like sort of invented in the last 80, 90 years Mm. and everything else has to have a special label because it's a little bit, you know, it's a bit weird. It's a bit hippie. It's not very clean. It's probably dirty. Mm -hmm. It might've had some poo on it at some point. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I, I sort of think is that we've ended up by accident with mm-hmm. this system. I don't, don't think anyone deliberately wanted to build this food system. I just think we've ended up with it. So mm. how how do we go about making, not in this world, because obviously I can just press the button and that will change. We'll do that in a minute. But if, yeah. when we go back through the vortex to the real world, how would we begin to even change that? Um, I, th- I think I think there's 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 two ways that 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 you could look at changing it one is is first of all we we you know we we're talking about this here we, we you know we know what is the better the, the better product to purchase you know we know what's going to be, be better for the environment we know what's going to be better for our own health mm-hmm. so what we have to do is 
is buy it. You know, money talks. You know, in in our situation, for example, okay, so we're we're a little farm. Um, we only produce a certain amount of food per year because we only ever work within what we believe our land can produce, um, whilst always having positive environmental benefits. Okay, mm-hmm. so we only produce a small amount, a limited amount every year. Um, the produce that we create is all sold directly to the customer. So we are what I call, or what what I guess in the in the marketing terms is is you know we're direct sellers. We're we're price makers. We're not price takers in that mm-hmm. we don't we don't take what the industry pays us. We dictate what our pro- produce is going to be. If you compare the the price of our produce to pork from one of the well known supermarkets it's more expensive fact okay I, I can't dress that up any other way than what it is what i would say is that the value that we attribute to our produce is closer to and i don't think it is exactly but i would say it's closer to what it actually costs to produce and that is eye opening for a lot of um people whenever they come to you know look at look at the prices um but what we say to people locally is if this is the kind of produce that you want, this is closer to the value that it actually costs to produce. And if nobody buys it, then little farms like us simply don't exist. Mm. So if you want to support this way of farming going forward, you know, we we need your support in that way. Now, obviously, you know that then when they taste your produce, they're just like, wow you know i did not know i did not know a pork chop was to taste that way you know a pork chop from the kind of pigs that we have you know they're they're semi-feral they're out in the woods they're they're kind of grazing you know natural vegetation we we give them an organic feed as well as that you know wow it is it is it is a game changer and what comes with that is not just the pork chop it's the story of the pigs it's the the life and you know the life and death the full circle story it's the story of the work that they did to regenerate the land mm-hmm. and it's the story of all of that together which you're then providing to the customer who's then eating that knowing that that is something positive that's going into their body so the first thing that you can do is really look at the produce that's available to you not just in the supermarket but in your local community hunt it out make the effort and then if you feel that it is worth spending your hard-earned money for on versus what it is that you're going to get back then do it so that's the first thing that I would say the second thing is that you know I went to school and the two key subjects in school was maths and English that's fine it should be maths English and growing those are the three key elements it should be in all schools so right from day one, kids should be out. They should be growing food. They should be raising, um, you know, chickens for eggs. Um, and that they should be carrying that right the way through. That should be A-level. You know, we should be having an A-level in growing and producing food. So that right from the very start, you're getting that ingrained into the into the culture. Amazing. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Am I go- I mean, I'm going off on one, aren't I, Tim? No, no, no. This is, <laughs> believe you me, Lynn, this is the place to do that. This is absolutely okay. the place to do that. You're not going to get into any trouble for that at all. And actually backing up your statement with such well thought out and clearly stated reasoning, and I, I, which is clearly backed up with a high level of understanding of what you're doing, mm. is absolute music to my ears and i know that uh, that a lot of my listeners will be sitting out there going this is great can lynn come on again next month so um <laughs> so, <laughs> so so that's 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 great and and i think um you know that goes back to the labeling thing doesn't it with the embedded costs and when you look at the price of cheap food mixed up with the taxation on cleaning up the environment mm. you mm. end up with the people that are spending lots of money on good quality food are then subsidizing the cheap food which is doing yeah. all the damage and it, yeah it's it's broken man we need to need to fix it okay brilliant okay well you know i've failed journalistically as ever to um in any way put up some sort of useful defense against your your desire to change the way that food is labeled um uh, i wonder though if we could shortcut that i think yeah. if, maybe if we passed a bylaw stating that all supermarkets should sell their should should have to operate under the name don't buy your food here um, <laughs> then, <laughs> then then we'd be somewhere but that, i don't want to bash the hand that feeds us and actually um no no you know ultimately they will provide what people vote with their feet for 
Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And, it, and, and that, that could be the way that that power gets redistributed. Okay. All right. Brilliant. Number one, I've written labeling, change the game. Yes. Organic yes. should be the default. Yes. And everything else should be labeled. Okay. So that's brilliant. So we are both looking forward to the day when we can walk into a shop and look for the stuff that doesn't have a label on it and we'll feel secure and happy that it's locally farmed organic stuff. Yeah. That sounds Great. nice. Yeah. Yeah, that does that sounds that sounds pretty I, good. I won't need my kitchen garden. What will I do? No, you will, you will. <laughs> no I will, I will. <laughs> There's no way we're gonna be able to separate you from that, is there? No, no, no. <laughs> well, before we dive into point two, although maybe it has something to do with point two, but I'd really like to um just briefly, if you could, uh, mm. outline for me how your pigs foraging are impacting the environment in a good way because a lot of people won't understand that or, or no. perhaps have not are not familiar with that concept yeah that's that's a very that's a really good question tim um so in, in terms of our, our animals as a whole, and I'll come to the pigs specifically in just a second, in terms of all of our team of animals, and I say animals, I mean livestock, because I include our bees in that. So we have mm -hmm. uh, hives of bees as well. So the animals that we have, which are highland cattle, rare breed pigs, um, free ranging hens uh, and bees, they all, they're all a part of what we see as being our team. So we're all working kind of collectively to try and um, you know pr produce food, obviously, but to, to, to improve the environment or regenerate the environment environment they're always having a regenerative um role to play uh, so that's our default on on everything um so so pigs pigs are domesticated version of of the wild boar okay that were would you know once were free-ranging <clears throat> in and around this country and wild boar are are um part of a, a sort of a, a, an ecological network let's say so they play a role um in in nature um that what we're trying to replicate through our domesticated pigs and one of the things that wild boar do uh, really well is they 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 snuffle okay it's a, it's a technical term um so <laughs> It's not really, it's my term. So so what so pigs snuffle, they get their roots in the they get their their noses, their snouts in the ground, and they turn over the soil because they're looking for things like roots and, and grubs and all that sort of thing to eat. So what often happens with wild boar is they'll move through an area, they'll rootle, they'll snuffle, they'll turn over the ground, and then they'll move on through. So what it, so what they leave behind can be something that looks really quite destructive and damaging and messy let's say but what that what that's doing is that's kind of opening up the sward of what was uh, the ground where the, the pigs had worked through and it's opening that up um exposing little patches of bare soil which is an ecological opportunity and that's an opportunity for uh, other species to colonize and grow. So in a grassland, if you've got a, a grassland that's dominated, say, by one or two thick kind of coarse grasses, if you work pigs through there, they can turn over the ground. If there's any relict sort of like um, hibernating seeds in the seed bank, well, they now have a chance to kind of pop up and grow because that competition has been eradicated. Or we can take some intervention, take some wildflower seed and scatter it on those bare patches. So that's one of the things that they can do in a, in a, in a, in a grassland setting. In a woodland, uh, so for example, in our woodlands here, we've got some really lovely old, old woodlands, but they're very, very species restricted and by that I mean there's basically only one or two types of species in there so diversity isn't high and whenever you're farming with nature you're always thinking about diversity because nature is diverse so what you want to be doing you want to be working with it within that kind of um, you know, way of thinking. So by working our pigs through our woodlands, they're breaking up the the mat of of grasses on the woodland floor. They are uh, exposing those little pockets of soil, and what they're allow what they're then creating is is an opportunity for either a tree seedling to fall from one of the existing trees in the area or for some new seeds to be brought in and planted, let's say, for example, a rowan seedling, which has um, come from a bird, which has just pooped it out because it's perching in the branch above, mm -hmm. you know, then all of a sudden you're introducing potentially new species, but you're also introducing more diverse age. So whenever you've got a woodland that's one species, like ours, um, we also have a woodland that's all pretty much one age. There's no new seedlings coming through. And that's mm. because we've got this really thick kind of duvet of dominant grasses. And then we have things like rabbits and deer. If we can get the pigs to work through, they open it up, 
tree seed, like new tree seeds have got a chance to germinate and grow. As long as we can protect them from any munching herbivores, <laughs> then you're starting to really, and that's the challenge actually, yeah, then you're really starting to kind of enable them to, to, to have that ecological boom that they so naturally want to do. The beautiful thing about all of this, um, Tim, is that, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing all this great stuff for nature, but what you're doing is you're working with pigs who are being pigs okay a question that we always get asked is aren't your pigs always escaping you know aren't they always you know oh pigs are pigs are a nightmare to contain they're always escaping blah 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 yes pigs are vivacious they have a joie de vivre you know they are they are they are smart what you need to make sure is that you're giving your pigs you know a, a life and a space that they don't want to leave because they're so busy they're enjoying themselves and they've got plenty of work to do. So so that's the kind of story that we tell individually yeah. each time we sell pork. So if I was to sell pork, you know, to you in two months time, I'd be telling you about the work that our woodland pigs has done. And I'd be saying, this is what they did. This is where they lived. And this is what we observed. Sometimes it's really good stuff. Sometimes we make mistakes and we share that as well. But it's all about rather than seeing the pigs as a product that we're then going to consume, to use that word, yeah. we're seeing them as, a, as something that we work with to produce this incredible, life-giving, health-enhancing food. Amazing. Vectors for change. Brilliant. I mean, I completely agree with you. The only way to keep pigs where they need to be is to give them a great environment to be in or to build yeah. them a, a fortress to live behind. And I certainly <laughs> prefer the former. My, my caveat to that would be, unless you're talking about Tamworths, because they'll just oh. get out no matter what, <laughs> really? just for the okay. sheer hell of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I cannot comment on that. I've never worked with Tamworths. So. Okay. Well, here's my advice. <laughs> Rascals. <laughs> My advice is don't. Okay, Do you know, fine, brilliant. It's funny, I always talk about this, and I was going, oh, our pigs have never escaped. There's going to be a day, Tim, and it's probably going to be the day when you visit us, and I'll bring you yeah. down to the pigs, and they're just going to charge the fence, and I'll just stand there and go, right. <laughs> Retract. they'll run the other way they'll run the other way yeah. because when i cannot look at pigs without thinking all oh, bacon oh so, no. you know, much much as i love them you know i love pigs yeah. and uh, I, I quite enjoy the whole sort of process of, of fattening pigs and and then mm. taking them to slaughter and and then you know worshiping the meat by properly dealing with it yeah. all and using it all nicely but um yeah. i can't you know i think i'm too long in the kitchen uh, is my okay. trouble and i just start okay. to see the joints moving around but um, okay okay that's my problem not yours okay great <laughs> well that's that's brilliant and and you've explained beautifully how how um how the the boar or the pig can can you know trundle things up and and that's mm. as a vector for change in the environment mm. so excited about that you also quite craftily link that into woodland regeneration which i thought mm. was quite interesting because the lack of understory has definitely been um been underlined with by by storm arwen i would say yes um yes why is my woodland flat well because all your trees are the same age and exactly the same shape um yep. that's yeah. a problem and then that takes me back to something i was going to ask you now we must dive into point two but very quickly earlier you said you were planting trees in the borders now yes that that's also potentially contentious because that's not a not always a great thing were you planting armies of sitka spruce on redundant peat bog so um no, the opposite. I'm I'm delighted yes! to tell you. Yes! You, haven't, you haven't fallen into my trap. Well done. That would have been that would have been uh, that would have been embarrassing. Actually, let's just pretend it was. Yes, Tim. That's what we were doing. No, um, we were we were. Well, what's interesting? It's a really. It's because it leads into something else that's interesting. Because we were working and living in the borders, um, planting trees on rewilding sites. Okay. So we were planting. Um, you know, broadleaf, vast majority was broadleaf species. If it was any conifer, it would have been, you know, the occasional Scots pine or a, mm -hmm. um, a juniper, that kind of thing. Um, so, so we were, we were basically, yeah, re reforesting, um, what uh, were um, valleys in a set in effect that were um, full of sheep previous yeah. to that? Yeah. Um, the the charity that we worked for bought bought them up, and then we we came on and 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 tree planted them. So so what was interesting in particular though about that was because for two years we were fully immersed in may you know really rewilding as being the way forward, and um, we were really starting to question you know did we want to eat meat? You know we were we were looking. At, at modern farming with with 
quite honestly, quite a critical eye. You know, we were reading the works of people like George Monbiot. You know, we were reading Feral. We were, we were seeing it through that kind of a lens. So to then, like a year or two later, found ourselves working as farmers was a very interesting uh, life change that we didn't see coming. Well, if you want to grow trees in Scotland, you very quickly learn that you need to eat venison. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I think, I think that's quite, yes. a, quite a good shortcut to make. Right, I am terrible. I've mis- misled you massively out of the main project here. So focus. I have no mountains. idea focus. where we are. <laughs> right, point two. What what was, yeah. was the second thing you'd like to change about the world of food? So, well, so the, the, the point, the second point was the one about the um uh the, the sort of the 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 kind of edu- education um gotcha. not just of 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 like kids but also of people that they have the power to change things through what they buy. Brilliant. So I'm going to put that down here as point two. Sorry. And that is, yeah. uh, we're going to teach people not only English and maths, but how to grow stuff. Exactly. And, yeah. and we're going to show the value either by storytelling or just plain obviousness of what we yeah. need to what we need to do to show people that the cost of their food should be spent on the food so that production can be done in the right way um yeah, yeah i've got no i can't argue with that i'm not even going to pretend that i can argue with that i love the idea uh, a lot of people come on a lot of people come on my show here and they say <laughs> to me tim we should teach more about food at school and i go yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. okay but it starts at home and also school can't do everything but no. actually actually that that is a much more sensible proposal because if you can just kids are naturally inquisitive they're very interested things they need to be if they're not hardwired and programmed to to absorb information and develop they'd never get anywhere so yeah. that that's that's already there in the vast majority of senses um, yeah. and giving kids the opportunity to grub about in the soil mm. grow stuff mm. and do that as part of their daily tasks at school mm. is a fantastic way to bring education into this revolution that we're all trying to try quietly trying to organize well Um, yeah and you know what do you know what it is actually that i would say almost is the summary of what i'm trying to say with that point which is the education one but also the adults is that we have to learn to take responsibility ourselves for the food choices that we make and the food system that we then actively support as a result of that so we need to maybe do a little bit of education ourselves to understand a little bit more what it is that we are supporting and what it is that we are putting into our bodies. So actually responsibility is is quite a big part of it as well, I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll make a note about that as well. Um, yeah, so we've got to grow food to know food and be responsible for it so that we can understand mm. and grow and grow ourselves and then from there improve things. I think people like yourself are often accused of having unrealistic mm. worldviews. Yeah. Uh, and I often think that that is a very easy argument for people to come back at you with that, that yeah. bears very little weight because actually once you're growing your own food or you're very closely involved with a, a a diverse food growing system near you even if Mm. that's not your full-time occupation Hmm. you will quickly benefit from things that you had no idea were going to be benefits from it it's like anyone that's got a veg patch quickly knows that very soon you learn how to use lettuce that's gone to seed for a, a substitute cabbage you learn to use you know some of the weeds that you keep pulling up turn out to be hairy bitter cress and you can eat mm. them you know mm. you very quickly mm. learn that you get a lot more from your veg patch than the intended seeds that you've planted of course. Um, and and so i, I think i think that uh, argument dissolves very quickly in in that kind of treatment but education is on point number two it's right yeah. there it, i'm not even going to bother to try and argue with you uh <laughs> so so that's good <laughs> right okay but this is dangerous territory all right because you've only got one thing left that you can change about the world of food although yeah. points one and two will have gone a long way to, to to resolving uh any outstanding issues um and i must at this point point out that you don't get to wish for more wishes okay this yeah. happens a lot we get to number three and people try and cram in about five by going oh well i was going to suggest this and i'm not going to have any of that i'm going to be you know i'm going to be rigorous you just get to change the thing and then we're done yeah okay well number three you're going to be quite pleased to know is that you're going to want to argue with this one 
Okay. You're going to want to argue me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought I'd, I'd got a few. It's funny. I'd got a few, and I thought, no, I'll go with I'll go with the sort of what could be perceived as a more controversial one, um, and and I'll explain why I've said it. But we we need to raise the price of food, and the reason why I say that is we've kind of been building up to it here in our conversation. In that food is the food that we are mainly buying um it has been subsidized at some point along the chain so what we're actually paying for it is not what it's actually cost to produce it um so we're we're so so we're we're, de- we're 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 buying a produce that has been devalued so therefore in our heads it's only worth a certain amount so in order to to value it more um, and in order to really support the kind of farming systems that we want, that most people, I would say, want to see, which are ones that farming systems that are regenerating the land, that are social hubs for the local community, um, that are producing, you know, in abundance and, and, and spreading health and, 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 and good, uh, you know, positive message. We have to raise the price of food. Now, where I will argue myself against that is that we know that food poverty is uh, is on the rise. You know, you, and I mean, I don't study these things, Tim. Okay, I, I see it just the way everybody else does in kind of news clips and stuff. Mm-hmm. But people are struggling to afford food, and I think one of the biggest injustices in this world is that the kind of food that we produce here at Limbrek is only available to a small amount of people who earn a certain amount of money. I don't think that's right. But equally, I think what we need to start doing in order to value food more by raising the price is really through that point two, which was the education, is saying to people, if you don't have a lot of money, what is it that you want to spend what is it that you want to spend it on? Do you want to spend it on, you know, a new iPhone? Do you want to spend it on oh, a new on, car with you. a personalized number plate? Or do you want to spend that spend that hard earned money on food that will give you health? And I just don't think we rank food anywhere nearly as high, highly as where we should do. Okay. Okay. Get I'm me. totally yeah, yeah. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I'm there in the hip hop battle of life. That's laying down the 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 law. That is, I like that. Okay, I, I might have lost you for a little tiny bit of that intro, but I think we got. I think we most mostly got your gist, and and I can fix in the edit if I need to. Um, but I mean, the obvious argument against that is, you know, the the price of food is not cheap enough for a lot of people. They struggle to mm. feed themselves now. Yep. I don't think, and this is your you're in luck because this is not a subject that hasn't come up before. Mm. Um, and I, there's a couple of people's opinions that spring to mind. Um, one is that of Sini Glaster, who used to run uh, We Five Fo, which was sort of social dining enterprise about having dinner parties in your own home and getting to know people. Mm-hmm. Um, that was quite fun. And um, what what she said quite rightly was the place to fix the inequality is not in the supermarket. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think there are other ways of supporting better food networks than just putting, you know, then we can fix it outside of the, of the free market scenario. We can fix that elsewhere. We don't need to worry Mm -hmm. about pricing people out of food. You're absolutely right that we should stop farming for profit and start farming for food. I, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is, that is where I am. And what gets Mm -hmm. me, time and time again is that very often it's not the farmer making the profit yeah, it's you know exactly. it's, it's the middleman and exactly. we need a food supply system we don't live all of us scattered across the country evenly where we can have you know little farms here there and everywhere that's that's you know that's not necessarily realistic but mm. what we can do definitely uh, and this was an idea from a guy called Tim Woodward, who runs a, uh, or, or at the time, run a, run a food charity, uh, helping mm-hmm. people in need. Um, very, very big scale stuff, actually. Uh, and, and he worked a lot with a, a, a food distribution centre, redistribution charity called Fair Share. Mm-hmm. And one of his ideas was to make uh, the food retail marketplace a more than profit organisation. So... Mm-hmm. Um, any any profit that was made could could go back into um, into farming, but also uh, you know you could treat your employees in within that system better, and also 
uh, provide far greater quality of food for a far lower price. Okay. Um, yeah. Because you take the competition out of the marketplace as well, which would make things um, different too. So yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got there's all these great ideas around yeah. that, and yet here we find ourselves sat here once yeah. again staring yeah. down the barrel of rising costs of living because of the yeah. knackered energy market yeah. um, which is interestingly all being tried to be blamed on on um, renewables at the moment which is quite entertaining okay. so, so, we've, so we've got that we've got people likely to lose their jobs we're just coming out of a hopefully coming out of a massive global downturn pandemic scenario mm. um people are going to struggle really struggle yeah, to make it totally. from one end of the week to the next and our, totally. what i would like to think is that we can take away that problem of having to feed themselves from them. I think we are a wealthy yeah. enough society to mm-hmm. say, do you know what? Mm-hmm. You're going to get your food. We're going to go to Riverford. We're going to go to whoever. And we're going to say, mm-hmm. right, this, you know, we want this many thousand food parcels to go to these addresses. Just send mm-hmm. them or go mm-hmm. and pick them up, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's not try and let the market sort out people's inability to afford to eat. No. It's no. just not right. No. And, you know, I, I like you. I'm I'm speaking from position of privilege. I'm not what most people would consider to be a wealthy man, but I am very well off in terms of I don't need to worry about spending money on my food. Right? Yeah. That's not going to yeah. be something that occurs for me any minute now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And a lot of people any minute now are going to be in that situation if they're not in it already, making the choice, particularly here in Scotland where it gets pretty cold, between yeah. turning on the heating and feeding themselves and their family. Yeah. And what ultimately happens there is that they end up eating the cheapest food available which is the worst thing for them and mm-hmm. makes them into even, you know, puts them in an almost even more difficult situation. I mean, I'm not trying to tell anyone how to live their lives, right? That's, mm. that's absolutely not me. I'm not, I'm not, I don't no. subscribe to the, well, if you got rid of your Sky TV and your new trainers, you could probably afford organic salad. I don't yeah. think like that. That's, no. that's, that's absolutely not where I am. What I yeah. think is that access to good quality, realistic food should not be a privilege and i think we can fix that outside of the price for food so yeah that's my only issue with with your raise the price of food as an ambition is that i think it's a good one but it's it's slightly misstated but it's your point so you're allowed it no I, d- I think I d- but everything that you said i don't disagree with and, and you know i fully i fully kind of back up everything that you're saying i think though you know what what we often default to a lot of these things is we talk about them in terms of a um, a monetary sense now that mm. is completely acceptable and understandable because of the situations that you have quite rightly highlighted you know these are all you know the, the times that we are currently living in and the times that we're facing are are absolutely terrifying when it look when you look at the increasing costs you know no, nobody's going to come out nobody's going to come off well you know in terms of you know people that, that live and work oh, every day i've lost you um, completely there hang on, hang yeah on, on, oh, oh sorry <laughs> I, lost Am I, back you there. Again? I lost you yeah no you're back again but i lost I you there here? yeah i can hear you can you hear me Oh, I can hear you. I can oh, hear great, you. Great. Oh. Just give me that last little bit again. Yeah. Sorry, lost you there for the internet. No, it's fine. As I say, ju- just saying, yeah, completely agree. Agree with everything that you're you're saying. I suppose, but but what I was the point that I was making was that we tend to assess everything in terms of a a monetary value. What I what I think we need to talk more about food is is not you know out with of monetary value and looking at health you know yeah. talking almost like almost like um the, the how healthy a food is has got a certain value attributed to it that isn't necessarily monetary but that is physical and that is mental in terms of the contribution that it's going to give to your health so so i think when it, whenever we're talking about raising the price of food it's almost about raising the value of food raising the value of food to people so that you're saying this is what you're going to get in return. How does that compare to what else you spend your money on? Yeah, see the value, not the price. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, great. And then, you know, we can, then we've got all sorts of endless knock-ons. You know, the health system, yeah, um, yeah, the, you yeah. know, will be will be much less put upon. And that will be money that can then be spelt, you know, can then be spent helping to improve, you know, food production systems. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I think lastly, my point on that always is, you know, don't knock the farmers too much because actually generally speaking they're doing their best under a bit of a cosh as well and I think you know there's 
lots of farmers get treated pretty badly and and that's not what we're about here we don't want to bash no. anyone we just want to see about a potential different future brilliant absolutely the food the food system is all of us it's not just farmers it's yes. people that buy food it's people that eat food it's people it's all of us so we are all that's the wonderful thing about the food system which maybe you know i certainly didn't realize until i became a producer is that it's we are all a part of it so it's all about working collectively as you say not not bashing anybody not giving anybody a hard time it's about solution focused working together and empowering people to make really positive changes so that you know let's face it Tim we get one life it's very short you know we're here for a blink of an eye it's about making the best experience that we can of that yeah totally and I think you know just to just to underline what you've said there for me that that's applicable to environment too and people yeah. would say well how do we mitigate these costs for the environment how do we do this so, no we're all part of that yes. and if we don't look after all of it together then somewhere around that someone falls out of the system and it doesn't work anymore okay Correct. brilliant okay well unfortunately for you we have to go back to the real world now um, <laughs> which is which is in process of being improved but isn't quite at the level which you've just turned this one into uh, but when we get back there we can soften that a uh, culture shock for you a little bit you get three fun things to do when we get there you get to nominate a future guest of the madam's cast don't worry uh-huh. they don't have to come on it's not a sort of military coup scenario um, yeah uh, you get to choose a food book that you would take with you into your desert island scenario and something to drink while you're reading it so we'll just wander back through the vortex now sorry about okay. that okay okay back into the real world yeah. um we're in it yeah what would your food book of choice be if you could only have one food book food related book so it could be about growing it might be about cooking it might be about nothing but but somewhere in there there's food um Mm -hmm. what book would that be so the food book that I would say in terms of a cookbook because I'm going to go with cooking Mm -hmm. because I love I love cooking. Sandra is our grower here. She's the one that spends hours in the kitchen garden. I love cooking. So the one that I get the most joy out of is the Hairy Bikers book on curries, making curries. Oh, that book is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say the River Cottage Veg book, and then I thought, no, that's too predictable. So I'm going to (laughs) go. So I would bring the Hairy Bikers curry book so that's the one that I would bring with me oh brilliant it's a bit random isn't it (laughs) no no I don't think it is I don't think it is oh I love that book oh we love curry in this house we're big big Rick Stein India fans oh okay um but we've got a uh Mira Soda her her curry book's very good as well anyway okay yeah a few curry books that we go to um for for basic choices oh good good choice oh I think yeah Uh, all right then but what are you gonna drink while you're reading that book so um, you can't beat a good cold beer with a curry. So I am going to go for the Black Isle Brewery. Um, oh yes, one of their organic ales. It's the um, it's the I think it's called the Pale Twenty One. It's in a yellow can. Super super little local organic ale. So I'm going to drink that nice and chilled whilst oh, I'm that's, reading and know, cooking from my curry book. It is only eleven thirteen in the morning. <laughs> and I'm, actually, I'm just thinking. I wonder if I could have. Maybe I can have a little curry now with yeah. a cold beer. With a that cold sounds, beer. sounds great. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Oh, actually, um, one of the weird things that happens when you keep your own pigs and you're into curry is you end up with pork curry, which is not something that happens no. very often in the world. It seems to work quite nicely. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Be up for that. Oh, well, there you go. I just, uh, yeah. Well, no, you know, I don't want to influence your food choices too much, but um, that that would be some advice. Uh, the um, the particularly the shoulder, you know, the back of the shoulder, the spare rib, the neck. Okay. Of yeah. The pig, okay. Goes really well in a sort of madrassy kind of scenario. Anyway, I'm going to stop now because I'm just making nice. myself curry hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At eleven in the morning. <laughs> I'm thinking about poppadoms for breakfast. Right. Mm. Okay, uh, and so lastly, then you get to drop someone in it. Who would you like to nominate as a future guest of the Madam's Cup? So the person that I would nominate, uh, we've already talked about, and I don't know if Ooh. she's already been on your podcast. So I may be actually doing something wrong here, but it's Kirsten. <laughs> it's KJ from um, oh, the Bossy Bakery in Granton. No, she hasn't. Um, so I would definitely uh, go with with KJ, and and the reason why I would is is a number of reasons. I mean. 
Um, I, I just think she's a thoroughly good person. She has come up against so many challenges in her life that she has very honestly and raw shared with people. Um, she's She's gone from creating the Mountain Cafe, which was by far, I think it's fair to say, the most popular eatery in in certainly in 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 Abbeymore in the wider area you know she she made the cookbook and then she it all came crashing down with covid and she's she's like a phoenix from the flames arisen and started the bothy bakery which is just growing arms and legs and she's super passionate him about local people, local food, local ingredients. You know, I always feel embarrassed with Kirsten because Kirsten would be desperate to buy our stuff and we never have anything for her, you know, but she's so, that's that's her passion. So I think as a chef, um, she would be fabulous to get on your podcast. And oh, she's good well, fun. Yeah, good and fun. that is not a problem at all. I'm, I, well, <laughs> provided she agrees to come on. You, you can tell her, you can tell her it was me. <laughs> <laughs> You've been held, we'll hold her to ransom. You can yeah. have some pork, but only if you go on the podcast. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Yeah. But a really, really, really inspirational person. Uh doesn't hold back about saying what she thinks, but real heart of gold and thoroughly everything is in the right place with her. Amazing. Amazing. Great. Well, she's actually working on some rye bread for me at the moment for a project I've got going on. So I, I think she's great as well. Okay. So okay. we'll have to get her on. Um yeah. Now, before you go, um, I want to thank you very much for your time, as well as, you know, your brilliant chat. Um, but we need to know a little bit more because people are going to be interested to find out more. So is there a website for Limbrek? Can we find you on Insta with the kids or, yeah. or what? Yeah, so we have a we have a website. Uh, it's www.limbreckcroft.co.uk. We Hang are. On, you're showing your age. Did you just say www. I did. I did. .co.uk. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, that's good. That's 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 reassured me. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It is. Do you want me to repeat it? <laughs> no, I won't. No, I won't. Um, we are on Insta with the kids, but very not much the kids at all. Uh, which is limbreck underscore uh, croft. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, just Limbrett Croft. And yeah, the book the book is is out on the 10th of March, uh, available at all um, book outlets, anywhere you can buy books, it's available. Um, and we're really excited to share the story, the longer version of our story uh, with, with anybody that wants to, to read it and hopefully uh, enjoy it. Fantastic. Well, listen, Lynn, to you and Sandra, I raise my imaginary glass of organic beer and say cheers and well done. And I can't Thank wait you. to come and have a have a have a meet about the place. The nicest Wonderful. thing about this ridiculous Madam's Cast concept is that I get to talk to such cool people. So thank you once again for giving us your time. You're Enjoy welcome. living your life. And I'm going to get myself on the list for some of your tasty pork snacks. Yeah, do it, do it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Cheerio. Bye, Tim. Thank you.